Hello everyone, and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. Today we're joined by the wonderful folks who have come together to bring us the new series of Danger Mouse. Hello, hello. This is Ben Mitchell. Joining me is Steve Henderson. Steve, how have you been? I've been fine. How have you been, Ben? I've been smashing pumpkin. Good, good. Been uh, quite the busy little beaver. You have, yes. You've been uh, go rummaging around festivals again. You've been. It was the puppetry festival last time, and now it's been encounters. So uh, yeah, busy, busy couple of weeks or a few weeks for festivals in Bristol. And uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch coming up as well. There's Click next month. And then, of course, the Manchester Animation Festival. We'll uh, talk a little bit more about that later on. Elsewise, what's been uh, enticing you and intriguing you in the world of animation? The world of animation always entices and always intrigues me. The, the big news this week has been has been about animal livestock. Have you seen this this news, Ben? This animal livestock news? I, I can't begin to comment on what, uh, on what that might be about. Yes, well, it's the Shaun the Sheep sequel. Ben. Oh, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> With you now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, um, uh, Studio Canal has announced that they're going to do a follow-up feature to uh, this year's smash hit, Shaun the Sheep the Movie. I say smash hit, it didn't take as much as Despicable Me, which has confused uh, the American audience, if Reddit is anything to go by, uh, as to why a film that only, only took $100 million has... In fact, warranted a sequel, but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's going to be exciting to see a new adventure with Sean. I thought the the original was great, so yeah, looking forward to seeing that. Of all the things that would send uh, redditors in a tizzy, <laughs> I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have thought Sean the sheep would be one of them. Well, that's only ever had a sort of calming, tranquil effect on me. Yeah, but what are people like actually sort of up in arms about it? Well, I think it's the kind of because it hasn't been marketed in America, and so Americans have never heard of Shaun the Sheep. The, I think they're a little bit sort of raging because because it's getting a sequel because they've never heard of it. I will never understand internet rage. What what a, what a weird thing to be rageful about. Yeah, that's like I'll understand Gamergate before I understand why people are pissed off at Shaun the Sheep too. <laughs> Well, good for them. It'll be good to uh, good to see Sean the Sheep on the big screen again. It was a lot of fun, the first one. Hopefully they stay the course, because that sort of style and, uh, you know, that sort of return to silent physical comedy was uh, was really refreshing. Well, I hope they go the other way, Ben. I really enjoyed Tom and Jerry the movie, and I... <laughs> I hope... <laughs> you thought you could take a sip of your coffee then, didn't you? <laughs> Oi, Gavalt. That was. <laughs> Could you imagine that would be so horrible if they just kind of absolutely f***ed it up? Like they all they all talking, singing, dancing. Yeah, there was a bit of singing and dancing in the first one, but oh, they, but it was they, nicely done. The barbershop quartet. Yeah, they did it right. If he's going to do something, he's got to have a pun in it. Barbershop quartet. You know, I I got it's, that. It it it's, okay. it all fits. <laughs> Is there a uh, estimated production date, release date, uh, speculative? No. When we're going to be seeing? Uh, no, they're not really said anything. It's just the the head honcho of uh, Studio Canal um, said that he's going. You know that that they are going to do a sequel. So Ardman haven't said anything yet. Studio Canal haven't given dates or anything yet. I suppose uh, it's it's coming. And uh, we'll have to wait for some more kind of solid news uh, before we know 
uh, when the film's going to be out. But uh, before then, there's obviously the uh, Christmas special this year and a new series on the way as well. There's plenty of Sean to go around. There certainly is. Uh, any other exciting new films or developments? Uh, no. No? <laughs> no. Sean pretty much the, just, just the that's predominant. It. That's my, that's my, all I'm interested in. Is scene sheet. I did like the uh, Glen Keane Future of Storytelling uh, demonstration. Oh yeah, that 3D painting thing. Oh, it was fascinating, yeah. wasn't it? Pretty trippy. Yeah. It's nice to see that technology is, is advancing in, in this way. You know, uh, who's also doing some pretty interesting stuff with uh, kind of interactive storytelling is the uh, good folks at Nexus. And they did a talk uh, last week here in Bristol as part of Encounters. And um, they're, they're also doing their own spotlight stories film um as duet was uh this is the google project which is really kind of taking these short films using the idea of an immersive environment to kind of facilitate the uh the storytelling itself and uh the guy doing it for nexus is felix massey who did uh, in the air as christopher gray and several other very kind of high profile films and that looks really interesting it's not if you were to see a still of it i don't think he is the main designer on it so if you saw a still of it you wouldn't think, oh, this is very clearly the new Felix Massey film. But the concept, and there isn't really much to talk about in detail because it's not going to come out for quite a few months, but it's a similar sort of thing. You use your phone as a way to kind of be inside the uh, inside the film, and you can kind of look around you completely up, down, 360, and where you look sort of depends on what happens. And uh, there's a sort of component of it where one of the characters kind of brings rain wherever she goes and so by sort of moving through the film you can sort of like work out when and at what sort of speed this person comes into the frame and ruins everyone's good time it looks like a lot of fun we definitely want to kind of follow up on that when it's ready to to come out because it looks and so different from duet obviously it was going to be you know you take someone like felix who was a very kind of modern more independently minded i think filmmaker in terms of his storytelling and his approach to animation and then glenn Keane, who is the most sort of traditional and classical you can get of people who are around today. So obviously there is going to be a slight disparity, but uh, both really good, you know, that's the main thing. Felix is such a good fit for that. I mean, anyone who's seen Keith Reynolds Can't Make It Tonight, the idea of, uh, I mean, uh, obviously um, in the areas Christopher Gray is great, but uh, it, it, it does have cuts in it. And But Keith Reynolds is a kind of like a story where, where loads of little stories are going on and they all come together but the camera's very interesting with that as well so i think felix makes a very good candidate to be doing this kind of work absolutely yeah and i think he's definitely sort of thrown himself into it so that was an interesting talk at this year's encounters quite a few very interesting presentations and uh, the screenings were as expected quite exciting and interesting and there's some ongoing encounters coverage on the site this week it'll be up throughout the week and yeah, we'll be talking a little bit more about the films uh, later on in the podcast with Aidan McAteer. Aidan was uh, on the podcast a couple of years ago now, and we did a very similar thing. We were talking about the Annecy films in competition that year, 2013, I think it was. So it's kind of nice to get some outsider perspective on. And also he had a film in the competition too. So that was quite nice to see. Which one did he have in? Did he have Deadly in? Yeah. Yeah, such a good film. Lovely stuff. Also recently, or the last episode of the podcast, we talked about the new Danger Mouse. You had been to a junket, this is a couple of weeks ago now, talking about like how excited you were about it, and it's about to hit TV screens, I believe. Is it this week or next week? Uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. It premieres on CBBC this coming Monday, the 28th of September, 
which is the 34th anniversary of the original series launch. Very exciting stuff. Certainly, um, you know, the quality of the animation is superb for a children's television show. It has absolutely the right balance of economic and fluid animation. So how do you feel, Steve, about like how they, uh, of what they brought to the new iteration of Danger Mouse? I, I completely agree with you talking about um, you know economics there and, and fluidity because Danger Mouse, as people remember it, is a very kind of uh, if, if you remember it or you rewatch it, if you remember it, you'll probably remember it being full of action and and and, and drama and being brightly coloured. But if you uh, rewatch it, you'll see that it was uh, there was an awful lot of cheap uh, shortcuts taken in the animation, which the creator Brian Cosgrove has no takes no effort in hiding. In fact, it's it's all part of the charm. So when they have to kind of translate that charm, which the original had absolute um, oodles of, there is there, there becomes this anticipation. I mean, how can you... Um, it's like earlier on in the year. Well, how can you recreate the Thunderbirds without puppets? How can you... You know, and, and, and certain things don't work. But recreating this, what Danger Mouse had, um, this economic animation while still bringing it right up to speed and, and uh, making it relevant and making it and introducing effectively a brand new show to a brand new audience, it's quite a task. And it can't be done without a, a real affection for the project, which I think the new people involved in, uh, and we're going to hear from some uh, in this podcast, had and have. Uh, and it is just, I couldn't have, I couldn't have, picked a better team of people to bring this back to life. It's an absolute triumph. Now, uh, the uh, the voice acting, the performances, is different actors, isn't it? It is, yeah. You see, the original series was uh, David Jason, David Delboy Jason, uh, Terry Scott playing the famous Penfold, and you um, had Edward Kelsey playing um, Colonel K. So you had like a, a core cast of three. David Jason did everyone basically, you know. Um, I think then you also had people like Jimmy Hibbert and, and people like that voicing other characters. But uh, David Jason did the narrator, so he'd have to put on this kind of like completely different voice between the narrator, who is a character in himself, and Danger Mouse. Whereas in this series, you've got Alexander Armstrong just playing Danger Mouse, and you've got Kevin Eldon just playing Penfold, and then you've got um, Dave Lamb, you know the guy from Come Down With Me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does the narrator, Uh. (laughs) which is completely different to David Jason's narration, but it fits so well with this new kind of uh, incarnation. It's not like watching Come Down Me, obviously. There's, There's very little cooking in Danger Mouse. And then Stephen Fry doing his, his best, you know, General Melchett <laughs> as Colonel K fits very well, you know, in the in the shoes of Edward Kelsey. And then you've got um, newcomer um, Shauna MacDonald, who plays uh, Professor Squawkencluck, who's uh, a new addition to the, to the cast. Guess what animal she is, Ben? <laughs> uh, I'm guessing some kind of tapeworm. Yes. Well done. Forgot your first time. I am astute. <laughs> Yeah, um, and that's like that's that's nice to see. Uh, almost like the cue to Danger Mouse's James Bond uh, involved in in the new show, and that's that. I think that's the kind of along the lines of how the show's been refreshed is that it's been brought up to date, and um, maybe there's no not as many shortcuts taken, but in the same way that opens doors for new things to come along that fit that Danger Mouse universe. You know, this is Danger Mouse with its foot to the floor as opposed to you know, being restricted by budget or something. And the scripts are absolutely hilarious, you know. 
Um, just every line is a gag. It, it's it just doesn't. It's relentless, Ben. It doesn't stop. Um, and that uh, that can can only be born out of a sort of a, a real deep affection for the original source material. Is it uh, Miranda Richardson in it? Miranda Richardson is yeah she's going to be in it. There's a lot of new characters and a lot of new villains and uh, you know to to, to thwart. And uh, Miranda Richardson, I think she plays the Queen of Weevils. And Brian Blessed's in the Christmas episode, so there's a little bit of a Blackadder reunion there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it looks great. Um, Count Ducula is coming back, but it's not Count Ducula from the 1988 to, was it 95 or 93 or something, the old series. It's the Count Ducula from Danger Mouse, when he was a, a dastardly kind of villain before, obviously, they built a series up around him. Yeah, so a whole cast of new characters, uh, you know, Richard Ayoade's going to be in it as well. And Morwenna, is it Morwenna Banks, who is uh, in every animated cartoon, <laughs> but she obviously a uh, very versatile um, voice uh, talent who's going to be uh, voicing Pink Dawn and Danger Moth. So loads of new characters um, coming up as well. How do you feel about uh, Kevin Eldon's Penfold? I think it's fantastic. I do like Mr. Eldon. He's great in whatever he does. I mean, he's obviously we know him, you know, chatting in this podcast, we may have talked or discussed the I Spied Book of Beards or who I am and what I want. But, um, you know, in, in this kind of, it's a completely different role for him in, in animation terms. And he really, he puts his all into, into Penfold. You know, he really goes for it. I've always rated Kevin Eldon. Uh, I saw him do his first stand-up gig in... Um, because he, he believe it or not, he'd done all these uh, bit parts in comedy for all all this all this time and never done stand up. And I saw him do his first one in Edinburgh about five years ago. I hate to do this to you. I saw him do stand up in Glastonbury ten years ago. Oh really? Oh maybe it was he was his... lying to you. Oh really? What what, did, what, what was he doing? <laughs> Titting about or? I guess maybe it was like a practice thing. Perhaps it was basically he was doing stand up. Uh, peppered with poetry. Ah right, okay. And uh, I remember it was uh, when Coldplay was playing. And uh, so it was all, it was a sort of like battle to get to the Kevin Eldon tent, you know, all the people with taste versus all the people who are heading to Coldplay. <laughs> the sneaky, devious fiend. <laughs> it was, nonetheless, it was, whether it was his first, his second, his millionth, it was a great, it was a great show. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's great in whatever he does. Did you ever see um, his, his, his comedy show that he put out? Oh, I saw one bit of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. I saw a, a sort of skit in like a plant shop. It was brilliant. The guy knows. The guy knows comedy. It's really weird to say that he he knows what what is going to be funny. I mean, um, and and from the start of the show right to the end of his show, he uh, like he, the the closing credits once was a road drill. So the guy who had to announce what was coming up next couldn't really announce what was coming up next. <laughs> yeah, that's good it's stuff. Part of that sort of like school of of British comedy that really kind of went through a ringer, I suppose, by association with people like Chris Morris. Yeah, Lee and Herring. And Julia Davis, and like the, they, they've been taken to the absolute darkest corners of comedy and are still able to kind of come out of it and do light stuff as well. Yeah. Like, I, did you ever watch much of Jam? Oh, God, yes. Weird sort of non-skits set to, like, lulling Amon Tobin soundscapes and the punchline is, and then all the babies die. What? <laughs> sort of those shows they put on, like, really late at night to make you question whether or not You'd fallen asleep. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but he held his own in that. And then, you know, I, I could see him completely holding his own in a quite light children's television show as well. Yeah. Like, he seems quite uh, malleable. Was it was it Jam where he was, the, where it was a woman, there was a dead baby, and, and he was the plumber? 
If there was a dead baby, it was probably Jam. <laughs> yeah, there's a brilliant sketch where he's a plumber, and this woman's got this baby who's died, and she calls and he goes, he says, well, I can't help, I, I'm a plumber. I can't, and she goes, oh, yeah, please, he, and he goes, he refits it. Yeah, but he's like, please, <laughs> please help me, and she's like, I'll give you 500 quid. Yeah, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> just such a wow well, wow yeah she sort of comes in and there's all these pipes coming out of the crib yeah, like, yeah. I really improved it, the efficiency of the water flow and the, <laughs> I think it's kind of like when South Park invented Terrence and Philip as a kind of reaction of like this show is terrible animation and fart jokes yeah and so they're like okay we'll give you we'll give you that if that's all you think of our show and I think maybe that was like Chris Morris like people watching Brass Eye and thinking oh this is just terrible shock humour it's like, okay, cracks his knuckles if that's what uh, you think I'm doing. Here you go. Yeah. But yeah, Kevin Eldon from that. I think maybe this is just him having fun, though. And he does have a tremendous amount of fun um, doing the voice of, of Penfold. It's a difficult one to place because Penfold's such an iconic character. And, you know, Kevin Eldon is the perfect pick. Hmm. And I think uh, well, we're talking about, you know, what's been brought to this new series. You, you can't go without talking about the work that Boulder Media have done. You know, the guys who... Have you seen... It's called Fresh Cut Grass. It's a it's a film that's that's been doing the rounds in festivals recently, um, directed by Rob C- Robert Cullen, who's the um, he's a creative director at um, Boulder Media. Have you seen that film? It's about a little puppy, innocent puppy who goes to the big city to find his sister. No, I don't think so. Oh, you'd love it. It's an absolute. It's a, it's a treat. It's a real treat. I think it's, it's it's nice to see them do that, but then bring this kind of animal world together in in Danger Mouse. There's there's been a lot of tidying up done in this new series. The old series would switch between scales. It was very. It was led by the script. The old series, so whatever, um, whatever you know, manic uh, sort of delights happened in the script, the animation was kind of dragged along, kicking and screaming. So uh, if Danger Mouse needed to be the size of a human to ride a train, he was the size of a human to ride, ride a train. But if he had to be a mouse to make it a joke, he'd be a mouse. You know. So there was a lot of. Um, there wasn't much continuity, but this new series, they've had to add a lot of continuity to it. And so it now exists within a world of, uh, of, of kind of animals, as you'd expect. But the queen is a corgi. You know, it's that, mm. kind, of, um, that kind of world. Um, but one of the things from the old series is that um, Danger Mouse and Penfold used to live in a pillar box, you know, like an old post box, which has to happen. Yeah. But if Danger Mouse is going to be human size, how is he going to live inside a post box? So they get around that in an extremely funny way by saying it's inconspicuous because it's a post box, but it's like five stories high. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, you know that's a, that's a that's a nice little nod to the past, but a brilliant bit of of tidying up in a in you know wrapped in a sort of uh, hilarious gag. So yeah, it's it's oh, man, it's great. I love it. It's it's so nice to see remakes handled with such care. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you were at the uh, the sort of launch junket. I certainly was. Uh, a couple of weeks back with uh, Ernest, new squiggly contributor and very talented animator in her own right, Bianca Ansoms. Bianca wasn't sort of well-versed in the original version of She'd the never show. seen it. No. She'd, she'd been, been from the Netherlands. Uh, she'd never seen the original Danger Mouse, which I would say was the ultimate test, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can praise Danger Mouse and talk about the past and talk about uh, the old series and, and compare it to the old series, which is what people will inevitably do. But I think the test of this series as a good TV show has to um, be reliant on an outsider's opinion. So who better to see it, who, to see it and to judge it, 
than somebody who's never seen Danger Mouse before. And sort of in conversation with someone who has a very thorough memory of the original. I'll be interested to hear what you two have to say about it later on in the podcast. In the meantime, who are we? Uh, who are we about to hear from? Well, let's hear from the let's hear from the voice artist, shall we? This is um, Alexander Armstrong, the uh, voice of Danger Mouse. Kevin Eldon, the voice of Penfold, and Shauna McDonald, who plays Professor Squawk and Cluck. I mean, people are they're, they're funny. They're they're possessive about um, old stuff, especially stuff that belongs to their childhood. And you can understand that. You don't want it to be basically scrappy do coming back and, and doing a horrible thing to the memory of something that was brilliant. And I think that people were involved in this were respectful of the original thing. And whereas it has hauled itself into the 21st century, I think it, um, it hasn't done it at the expense of the original spirit. I mean, you could go, oh, well, there you go, there's all these video games and all this uh, high-tech stuff, but it was always a gadget-based show. Yeah. Yeah. And so, as far as uh, the original was concerned, it was the most technologically recent it could be, and so it makes perfect logical sense that, you know, it now has, uh, you know, technological innovation, which we see now. Credit to the producers, when we went along to the casting, they said, you know, we're not looking for reproductions of the original voices. And so, at home, I tried different voices and I tried a low one and I tried a western accent and I tried a northern accent I even tried a Scottish accent a very bad one that's it no we start fighting and uh, I I just um, and then when it came down to it I just thought well Terry Scott he's, he's got to be high pitched because he's such a little guy and I just thought Terry Scott just did a really good job and I think the only thing I might have done differently is Terry Scott's but, Penfold is, is sometimes a little yeah, bit posh, so I might have kind of like da- um, sort of um, s- not streetized him, but made him not quite so posh as he was. The uh, high, quite fast delivery of uh, Penfold and the low, slow delivery of uh, da- Danger Mouse is such a nice contrast. That was in the original. It'd be a shame to lose that, so keep that in as well. You uh, both recorded together and you've obviously both done radio shows and live action comedy as well. Did it feel like you were recording a radio comedy? Did it feel like you were recording animation? Because I know, Kevin, you've done things before, such as I Spy, Book of Beers and uh, Who I Am, What I Want. What did it feel like in the booth? I think, Kevin, touched on it earlier, so I think you have to have, you have to put a lot more... a lot more energy. <laughs> if you, you, even in radio drama, if you play this anything no, other than energised, everything, even if it's just pen, even it's pen bold, it has to have, have to be pen bold. It's a very big thing. You know, it's a, I suppose a little bit like those sort of archers. Actually, the archers they do those <laughs> deliveries. <laughs> well, so. Oh well, the flapjacks can go. Never forget that episode. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> so you, you do have to. You, know, you learn when you watch the first the first time you ever see it back is when you, you realise how much. And subsequently, we were all just throwing ourselves about in that in that booth. And I think if four is probably about as many as we can put in there. Because there is a lot of you just have to you have to put energy in. There's just so much movement that has to go into something. As you can see, it's a very uh, it's, it's a very kinetic experience watching it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But what what's nice about it, uh, but very positive thing is that especially in telly today, uh, everything's so rushed because everything has to be done on such a low budget in such a quick um, period of time that you just get it done. It's a, it, it can often be quite just bosh, bish bosh, do it. But with this, you really had, in comparison, a luxury to be able to try lots and lots of different ways 
uh, lots of different takes on it and different stresses so that uh, not only you could get it right but also you could actually give the animators a lovely big choice as well so you know you'd be on you could be on half a page for for a quarter of an hour 20 minutes you know mm -hmm. and, and you'd get about 20 takes on each line and that's great because you know that out of that something good's going to come but it did it took it out of you didn't it that, yeah. that voice is uh you could you could put four episodes was as many as you could do. Yeah, in a day. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's 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 like singing sort of an hour and a half of Little Richard songs. <laughs> so it's, I can't do anything more than that. Then the voice would go. Is this what I have there? There was lots of uh, ginger tea. Funny. Oh, and that wet. What's it called? Sticky. Oh, um, throat coat. Throat coat. Yeah, drink throat coat, folks. If your voice is under the weather. You had you had a brand new character to yes. voice. How where did you start? Gordon Clark was a German professor. I find out on the internet. But um, where did <laughs> yeah. I start? From myself, and then we played around a little bit, and we listened to some uh, references. Um, the I think for my audition. Uh, they got a good idea about what I was going to bring to the table and then when I got the job I'm glad they kept you all waiting because they kept me waiting for about two months months, <laughs> months. Yeah. Yeah. I've given up yeah. I had to um, for the audition turn into chicken and I thought well I've made a brain for myself and they're just laughing and I haven't even got the job I got the job and from the references that they played me um, uh, which were American actually so I had to adapt to my uh, voice, uh, we got we got it. It's about her rhythm, and we wanted her to be energetic and not bossy, but definitely clever and know what she wants and what she needs. And Danger Mouse doesn't give her what she wants or what she needs. Danger Mouse adores, doesn't they? They're at their. They're sort of at, they're at loggerheads, aren't they? Yeah, I think but, they've got a mutual respect. Yeah. I don't know if she does respect but he's, but he's heart, No, I think yeah. she does, but he's heartbroken when he thinks that she's in trouble. Yeah. So it was Kevin Eldon, Alexander Armstrong and Shauna MacDonald, three of the new voice cast for the uh, remake of Danger Mouse, talking to Steve. Who else was there at the launch? So as well as the, uh, the voice talent, uh, we also spoke to uh, Bob Higgins, the guy from Fremantle Media. Uh, we spoke to uh, Sarah Muller, who's the head of uh, drama and animation development at CBBC, and Ben Ward, who's the head writer of the series. Ben also worked on Horrible Histories, um, Tracy Beaker and all that kind of stuff. He's, a, you know, he's the guy who's brought it back. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's, uh, let's hear from them, and then we shall pass it over to you and Bianca for a little post-junket discussion. I'm Sarah Muller. I'm the executive producer for CBBC. I'm Bob Higgins. I'm the executive producer for Fremantle Media. I'm Ben Ward, and I'm the head writer. The truth is that everybody who worked on it is a fan, so there was never really any issue about about you know changing it too much because we all the reason we're doing it again is because we, we love the original. Um, but the the trick is to to do the show that you would. You know, if you're writing it now, this is the show you would have done. And that was the show that you made sense to do in the 80s, and this is the show to do now. From a CBBC point of view, obviously we're working with an audience that probably don't know what Danger Mouse is. Unless they've got an absolutely rabid fan and the parent, then our findings were that people didn't know what it was. So we were very much looking at what it was that worked and why it was successful and popular and resonated before. And I think we identified fairly early on in the process that that was because of the abiding loveliness of the relationship between Penfold and Danger Mouse. And that was what the, that was what everything was built on and allowed them to go off into all kinds of 
of directions and that was the sort of thing we were trying to replicate and I think that's where we started wasn't yeah, it was yeah. really getting that relationship right and the characters of Danger Mouse Penfold. And then trying to deliver for today's audience. I mean, as we said in there, the, the show premiered 34 years ago, and it's a very different um, audience, and it's a very different um, media scape for the kids. It's a lot more, um, you know, calling for their attention, and and the expectations are very, very different. 34 years ago, children would watch an episode, as they did, over five nights at five-minute installments, and today, they want the whole story in five minutes. You know, we're at 11 minutes, but we've jammed everything, including the kitchen sink, as you saw in the little clip, you know, into this show. So the things that we kept from the original, the great multi-level humor, um, lots of great verbal stuff, but then what Rod brought to it, um, you know, was all of the, the physical humor and the great animation that the expectations is there today. Um, we need to compete with these great 11-minute cartoons, um, and so we needed to you know, change the blueprint to fit what the, the audience is demanding. Was there an amount of trepidation or sort of worry that, um, that you'd be handling something that the public believes to own because they've loved Danger Mouse growing up? I mean, is there the, the kind of da the danger? There always is. You don't want to be the one that ruined it, you know? Um, and you, that's with any classic property. Um, so again, um, you know, when, when we began the process, it was really, you know, we sat in a room you know, all of us watching literally every episode and going, okay, what what worked? What was great? What made it so iconic um, that people remember it so well? Um, but then what we really needed to do is get into the heads because quite often the remembrance of everything is very, very different than, than if you sit down and actually look at it today. The remembrance of it was, it was huge action, there was huge explosions, and there really wasn't. What was there was great scripts, great characters, and great stories, and so what we needed to do is figure out a way to create that mental image and get it on the screen um, so that we can really deliver the promise of what was created 34 years ago, and I think um, hopefully we've done that. One of the best gags was um, the post box being the size of a building. There seems to be a little bit of tidying up there from this original series that, that was very kind of, let's just write the gags and let's see what we get. I mean, I think that that's, if, if there are differences between the original and, and ours, I think one of the, one of the in, in writing terms and in, in animation terms, the, uh, so the original, I think they would say that uh, Danger Mouse was a mouse agent in a human world. Mm. Um, but that creates all sorts of scale issues, which, you know, one of the first things that several people said to me when they said, well, oh, what are you doing, Dan? How big is he? Because he's talking to an elephant and then he comes in out of the curbstone. Yeah. And so we, we talked about that earlier a lot. We just decided that the, for continuity issues, we we went with it's an animal world, so there are real doing people in it. And it just suddenly it makes a lot more sense. And then jokes like the post box, you know, come, are much easier to do because it's, it's consistent all the way through. Um, and you don't have to worry about him talking to an elephant because he's a, the elephant's like a personality. So thank you to Ben Ward and Bob Higgins and Sarah Muller. And we'll now be hearing from Rob Cullen, creative director of Boulder Media and the chap who is essentially responsible for the animation of the show itself. Were you a fan of Danger Mouse when you were younger? 
I was a huge fan. I mean, I'm of a certain age where I was just the right age to remember it. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things, because back then you had, like, what, your three channels to look to look at. So, Danger Notice was definitely something you used to watch every day, because I remember as well, back then, it used to become, like, shown daily. So, like, each episode was, like, a few minutes long, and I would leave it on a cliffhanger. Um, but, yeah, I remember, this, I remember this kind of thinking it was different from other shows I'd seen, because it seemed my older brothers would laugh at it, and it seemed to be just not top down to you but it just it seemed to be the, the, the comedy was seemed to be more sophisticated and I know what you'd expect from your from your, your average kind of daytime TV cartoons um, so yeah I mean the, kind of when we were approached when we, to do a bid for us you know we were thinking oh my god this is, this is too surreal <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, just to be thinking you're working on a project that you, you, you grew up looking at as a, as a child it's, 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 it's a wonderful experience so did they uh, did they approach you then no, what it was, it was actually it was just an, it was an open bid. Um, so it was ourselves and I don't know how many other six, seven other companies um, put a bid in for it. So we basically put a tender. What was what would you do with Danger Mouse? How how would how would a contemporary Danger Mouse look in this day and age? Um, so yeah, so we kind of did some some concept designs and uh, did a few tweet some design characters and you know designed what the world would look like. Um, and it hasn't actually what we pitched isn't 100 miles from what it is right now, which is which is great. Um, so yeah, when we, when we found out we got it, we were dumbstruck and amazed and delighted. I can imagine. We we talk a little bit about that world then and the yeah. approach to the pitch. I've seen a, I've seen few images. I don't know whether it's fan art or whether or not it would have been from a pitch, but of Danger Mouse with guns. Have you seen that one? I've seen a pop up. Yeah, that I think that's definitely fan art. Um, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't air pitch because I think the one we put together. Yeah, the designs. I mean, even with the character designs, um, and I've said it many times that like. The characters from the original show, they're classic, iconic designs. So we didn't feel any need to really kind of redesign them or, you know, over-stylize them. You just needed a fresh coat of paint, some design tweaks just to help with the, with, with the animation style. Um, I think the biggest change was probably Baron, um, because, he wanted, because we knew his, his character was going to be a lot more cartoony and expressive. So we wanted to kind of like um, take, take a pass at that design to help with the animators. Um, yeah. Excellent. So, uh, any any particular sort of uh, challenges in updating uh, the characters there? Then, besides uh, the Baron. Well, not really. The main thing was not not to kind of veer too off the original because obviously there's a huge fan base there, and we do want to kind of like you don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, I mean, with Dangerous himself, I think we gave him a bigger a bigger nose and we gave him slightly more refined features. Um, obviously, the eye patch. Is, is, is a new feature but we kind of we, we kept pretty much the same shape we made it more of like an, I, an iPhone kind of um, silhouette um, and we took we took a few pounds off of Dangerous' belly he's probably a bit too tubby of, to be a super super agent in this day and age <laughs> so, like um, Penfold is is pretty pretty much exactly the same, I would say, yeah. apart from uh, which is which is quite commendable that you weren't attempted to put him in a baseball cap or, or well even that'd be old, but you know what I mean. I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, no, I mean Penfold, he's pretty much the exact same as is I think Day, uh, Colonel K, um, Celeso. You know they're pretty kind of what they were originally. Um, the biggest change you wanted to make was really kind of with the environments and the backgrounds and actually the world they inhabit. To make that like more dynamic and bigger and bolder, hmm. uh, and try to kind of make it almost filmic, uh, and how we kind of storyboarded and kind of did layouts. You had to design uh, Colonel K's legs as well. For the first time, we see Colonel <laughs> K's legs. <laughs> I think we had to design 
history quarter view as well. I think, for memory service, it was always a front-on view. Of, he was always know. pressing the button, wasn't he? That's all, <laughs> every single gag he was, that was his intercom work, that was his sort of... This constant nervous glancing off to the left, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's interesting, it was actually, that was probably one of the challenges to actually design a character that we never saw from different angles. And, and obviously, uh, new characters or, or, or revised characters, such as Professor Squawk and Cluck. Yes. Um, yes, yeah, so she's the, the new female character. She's like the um, the Q character, so she does all the inventions. Um, so with her, we needed to kind of come up with a design that felt like it was part of the show. I didn't feel like it was just kind of like dropped in from a different planet into these well-known characters. So, um, yeah, we kind of developed a quite, quite a simplistic style, really. So, all the, like, Pandemonium, or Pandemonium, who's new, who's new villain, um, we needed to make them, you know, feel like it's from the same world. Um, so, I mean, that was probably, it took a little while to kind of probably nail that. Um, but, yeah, once, once we did, we kind of knew where we were going with kind of new characters and incidentals. Mm-hmm. Did you have much of an involvement with the old um, Cosgrove Hall alumni? Did, they, did you get any assistance or was there any sort of communication? No, not really. I mean, we uh, we did meet uh, Brian Cosgrove and Brian Truman very, very early on. And uh, we were showing them kind of our sketches and their designs. And we got the blessing from them on, on, on how, how they were looking, which was, which was great. And uh, it was actually great because uh, Brian Cosgrove, he uh, had loads of model sheets from the original series and kind of turnarounds of the characters and turnarounds of, of, of uh, the danger of the car. Um, so it was great to actually see the original artwork in, in pre-production form as well. Excellent. Um, so how's the communication go with, with the rest of the team? Um, the writers such as um, uh, Ben Ward and uh, the voiceover artists on a production such as this? Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, it's quite a collaborative experience uh, from the start. So... Ben and his team of writers, um, and also um, Andrew Burrell in, in, in BBC, um, they would pitch ideas, you know, one-page synopsis for an idea of an episode, um, and then the ones that would kind of like that would stand out, they would be, be fleshed out in a, in a workbook, a work, kind of a workshop over a couple of days, um, and then they're slowly kind of developed, so it'll probably turn into a two-page synopsis. And um, we get the three acts broken down, and then from then on, it's basically just drafts of of of, of scripts. And um, so everyone has their input. So I'd have an input in regards to kind of like you know action scenes and what we what we kind of what, how can we make an action scene bigger, and um, but also kind of flag anywhere where the script is probably a bit too ambitious in the sense that you know one one line of dial, one line of script could say an army of a hundred robots come over the horizon. So it's kind of okay. We can't do that in production. So how can we kind of still have an army of robots, but kind of doing a more sensible way, but still looks cool? Um, so yeah, so that whole process goes on. I mean, it's, it's quite a lengthy process with the, the writing itself, um, and then what's help what helps as well because Ben's in the um, Ben, who's the the, 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 the head writer, um, he's also in the the recording sessions as well, along with our uh, voice director. Um, so he because when he's writing some of the scripts, he knows exactly how he has to carry his what how to do what sound and, and how to deliver a certain line. So it's um, well, it's great because we the, the Alexander and, and Kevin and the cast are fantastic. Are kind of like just doing ad libs as well, um, but they've, they've totally kind of inhabited the characters. Um, so it's, it seems the whole thing seems to be very organic and seems to have come quite quite naturally. When we got the final team together, we were just kind of couldn't believe just how natural and it felt um, and it seemed to come easy in that sense 
Excellent. Oh, well, that makes sense having seen it. You're talking about the action scenes there. Um, yeah. There is a lot more action than the old series. But uh, something that Ben uh, said is that he wrote the series how he remembered it rather than looking back at the old series. He wrote it as he remembered it. Did you yeah. animate it as you remembered it, these big ambitious action scenes and, and, and the robots which are put in the shot very well? You know, the uh, what, what we call the safety mouse, is it? Safety mouse, yeah. In episode yeah. one, yeah. Well, we knew from the very, very start that it was going to be a heavy action show anyway because it's, you know, it needs to appeal to a new audience. And also we were kind of like rifting off from, you know, the Bond movies and... You know the Marvel movies as well, where we've got these big ass action scenes that you know that I think the audience now expect these kind of thrills and spills uh, in, in an action comedy show. Um, so I mean, we really kind of went to town on the action scenes because we wanted to be big and dynamic, um, kind of edge your seat stuff. So yeah, for that we kind of we did reference a lot of kind of Hollywood blockbuster movies um, and try to make things as big and as grand. And kind of over the top as, as possible um, so yeah because we have a lot, a lot of kind of like fantastic comedy and dialogue and um, which is staged quite simply so to have that kind of balance against dynamic storyboarding and action scenes it, just, it seems to have a nice a nice balance when we, we're talking about the animation as well if we can go back to the style and, and you've managed to incorporate photographic backgrounds as well was that always something that you had to do yeah I mean it's when we were kind of doing initial pitch Obviously, we went back and looked at the, the original series, and that was the thing that um, the, the original Dangerous had, where they had a kind of photographic background. So I have like London, and you'd see <laughs> a photograph of London mixed with kind of painted backgrounds as well. Um, so that's something we really wanted to do because we did it before in other shows where you kind of use mixed media. But with this, we wanted to kind of try something where you were really kind of blurring the lines of what was real and what was painted. Because one sense it gives it gives you a real it makes the backgrounds kind of look realistic yet stylized and it helped help us kind of get that kind of cinematic hopefully I that cinematic kind of feel that we were we were hoping to get um, because now you can use kind of like amazingly high res uh, high HD photographs that you can get quite stunning images um, and setting to set that against you know our two D characters was was something that we really wanted to do one of the main things as well. Was we wanted to actually make sure that the characters, it felt like the characters were in a three D environment, so it wasn't just like two D characters against a two D background. That we felt, you know, so we we lit them the exact same way you'd probably light a live action set. So all the all the, the painted artwork and the photographic art, photographic images and the two D characters are all lit and cast with the same lights. So it makes things just a bit, bit more believable. And again, just to give that give that kind of filmic quality. Ben and the rest of the writers treat you guys with uh, descriptions of characters and descriptions of scenes uh, on a on a sort of daily basis is there any particular uh, character or scene that you're particularly proud of or any achievements in this series that uh, that you that you're <laughs> happiest with there is one i mean it was, it was very very early on it was the scripts called plan up the toilets and um it's all the whole the whole thing is set in tokyo and there's this fight sequence on top of a uh, speeding bullet train and it's Angel Mouse having, having a fight against a, a train toilet. Um, so one of the things that came into my head was, okay, well, first of all, this has to be nighttime because it has to be Tokyo in nighttime, neon lights, the whole lot. Um, and then we wanted to make it kind of like, you know, the Wolverine fight sequence and also Mission Impossible, just to get that sense of speed. So this is the first action. This is actually one of the first action scenes that that we really kind of looked into. Um, 
I mean, if you want to make it as visceral and and real as possible, with like shaky handheld camera work and lights <laughs> flying past camera and you know really in your face, and same with the same with the sound effects and music. Um, so yeah, that was the first kind of one where it was really kind of we went to town on it, and yeah, very happy with it. But uh, we've done, we've done lots since as well. We have like a whole underwater battle sequence as well, and every episode has something completely different. Um, and each one comes with its own challenges because all the action scenes are quite big and grand in scale. Um, so it's just trying to do stuff that you can you can you, you want to make it look amazing, but also be able to do it within the schedule that you have because it's obviously very tight 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 deadlines to to, to, to meet. Um, but yeah, that was that, that turned out well, um, particularly because it's the first one again. So it kind of it set the tone that we wanted to do all the few Jackson scenes as well. Sounds like you're never bored there with everything you get challenged to do by the no, uh, writers. That's great. Yeah, I mean, because again, each script, you just don't know. <laughs> it's, each episode is completely different from the previous, you know. Some episodes, it's probably a horror genre, you know, or a fantasy genre, or a sci- sci-fi. So one episode could take place in a completely different planets. Um so yeah, you're 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 you you keeps on your toes. Excellent. Well, if you're not bored, I I uh, I doubt that the audience will be bored as well. So uh, yeah. So what what did you use to uh, to make the series? Well, originally um, we were going to use Flash because um, basically every every show we've done up to up to now was the Flash was the software that we used. Um, and actually, we started. We did all the character designs, turnarounds. Uh, in flash and they were rigged with mouth and eye comps so we were quite far down the road um using flash and then it was quite late in the day where we, where we decided actually we needed to kind of move the the, the harmony to and boom um, just to kind of achieve the animation that we wanted to get the fluidity um so we had to the poor rigger had to redo all his work um Ooh. so it was kind of a lot of work but it's, it's i think it's paid off um because one of the things we could do as well was we have 3D in the show, uh, particularly the car, and uh, danger car. It's 3D, and um, using the harmony allows us to actually animate the, the 3D vehicle in the same software as 2D. So it just makes everything a bit more easier. Um, because on, on Gumball, we did use Maya, and then we had to inf- bring that into After Effects with the, with the Flash, so it was quite time-consuming. Um, so, yeah, it worked out well in the end, but, but yeah, the poor, the poor rigger guy nearly had a heart attack. he's over now (laughs) he survived good 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 thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today Rob it's great to uh, find out a little bit more about the animation um, that's gone into the new series of uh, Danger Mouse thanks very much Steve good talking to you so we've tried to find one of the quietest places in London which is quite a task but we've just we've just been to see the new Danger Mouse, and you've never seen it before. So this was your first experience of it. Yes, indeed. I mean, um, as most people know, I'm I'm Dutch, and um, surprisingly for a lot of British people, no, we didn't have the same children's TV. Um, we mostly had French and Belgian kind of influenced TV series. So uh, no, Danger Mouse never came across the shores really. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprisingly, went to America, for what I understood, but never went to the small leap of the North Sea. Um, so I'm, I'm actually, um, I very specifically, even though you advised me to watch some uh, old Danger Mouse, I didn't. Um, I, I claimed this as a, <laughs> uh, 
that this was a bit of choice, but of course it was also partly busy. <laughs> we'll forgive you. Yeah. So I watched it with fresh, fresh mind. I had heard of it. A lot of people love it, and I know that it's uh, it's very dear to to British hearts. And um, and yeah, I have to say, I loved it. I generally thought it was hilarious. Um, it, it just had the right amount of Britishness to it. It, it was really. It was still very accessible for a foreign uh, audience, and uh, but at the same time very heartwarming for the British side. So it was uh, really lovely to see, and it didn't. It was uh, the pilot was a 22-minute episode, um, but it didn't feel like that at all. It flew by, didn't it? It did. Yeah. yeah. What did you think? I mean, of course, from your point of view, uh, having seen and being a big fan of the. Uh, well, that's the thing. I suppose having you talk about it in such sort of glowing terms is the ultimate test, really, because you've never seen it. So you're not weighed down by the past. You're not watching it thinking, oh, that doesn't sound like Penfold or oh, Colonel K is different. We see his legs or whatever. You're not sort of expecting the past. You're just wanted to see a good show and you've seen it. I mean, the fast pace of the gags... The, um, the background is a lot brighter, a lot more colourful than I remember. I suppose if people were to watch the new one and then go on Netflix and watch the old ones, they'll be surprised at what the old ones look like. You know, they're, they're not very, they've not aged well. <laughs> the writing, the writing is superb, you know, as it is now. But the, the old shows, they haven't aged well, you know. Yeah, so so when we were talking with the um, with the voice talent, um, they mentioned that, and I was actually quite surprised because, of course, I expect now quite quite high quality production standards, and so I'm quite surprised that the old ones weren't. But it proves you indeed once again that the, the writing is the most important, and uh, it definitely was very very strong in this episode that we've seen. And um, I loved the the characters just felt balanced. I think yeah, that was it was the nicest and and there were also really nice references to the old ones that even I could feel, you know, seeping through. And um, I mean, I heard you giggling and snorting a couple of times next to me. And, uh, <laughs> That's what I do, I giggle and snort. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty much your whole yeah <laughs> reaction. <laughs> No, um, it was really, um, I just loved it. I mean, also being uh, living in London, of course, um, it was just really lovely seeing, because of course it's, for what I understand, the old episodes are set in London as well. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of really lovely. Even even for me, mm-hmm. it kind of felt a bit, bit like I could make a claim to it because it's set in London. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think to the characters? Did you think they were outdated or did you uh, enjoy the kind of to and fro between Penfold and, and, and Danger Mouse? Because there's no characters like Penfold in television nowadays. You know, he's like a, like a man from the office, this sort of bumbling idiot. And he's of a time. I think even Danger Mouse arrived 20 years after that kind of Danger Man and, and, and the man from Uncle and all that kind of stuff, after that was popular. So Danger Mouse back in 1981 was late on the scene. What do you think of it now? Does it look dated? Does it look old? Um, um, no, I think the one thing that I, I guess I could say for it is that I felt, you know, that there actually the relationship between them two and the way we fell into it with the pilot, uh, I didn't feel longing for it, but I could feel there was a history to it that I obviously didn't know, um, and much more character development between the two characters and the relationship, because quite quickly the first couple of gags got thrown at you, and they were still funny out of context, but would have probably been even more hilarious if you knew what the, 
relationship was. Uh, because I didn't at that point, the first time I see Penfold, I didn't know exactly who or what he was. Mm. And in terms of dated, um, no, I didn't really feel it was dated. I just, I think um, they described sort of Danger Mouse as a James Bond, and I think of Penfold, I had to think of a bit of Dr. Watson. So, you know, uh, I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, so I didn't find it a big leap to make. I found it actually a very logical British leap to make. Uh, the Danger Mouse and Penfold exist. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you think to the overall quality of the show then? I mean, oh, as it was gorgeous. Yeah. It was gorgeous. I mean, the, um, I think, as, uh, as we spoke about earlier, you can see that that is made by a generation and by people who want this to be as good as they remember. And we, when we spoke with the writer and the director, that was exactly how they pointed out that they said they wanted it, what they remembered of it, not necessarily what it actually was. And so they have taken all the best bits and you can feel it's been studied, it's been, you know, um, just and then taken to the next level for, for a modern audience. And the, the speed was right uh, because sometimes I worry that children's TV gets quite quick and a little bit too snappy, but there were like little moments where you just had a bit of character and I think it was very nice. I mean, was that for you a, a big leap to make the speed of it? Uh, was one of the things that we mentioned a lot by the creators? The speed of this show, the new show, it's a, it, they picked up the pace, it's a, it's a lot faster than the old show. Even within 22 minutes it did feel like a 10 minute episode, um, and that's no bad thing. Uh, basically because of the amount of gags that they crammed into it. You know, straight away, the first thing you burst out laughing at the, when they said, you know, the gherkin, the tennis racket, the, you know, the house of cards, all these different on the, on the London landmark, you know, uh, London landmarks there. And that's what the old show was like. There was, it, from start to finish, it was just people telling jokes, set to the backdrop of a mouse and a hamster yeah. running around solving, you know, trying to stop Aaron uh, Greenback. It's on the very old tradition of um, the carry-on films and Monty Python and the goodies and you know, all that kind of fun. British, very British, very British. I think what I loved, uh, why I particularly loved at that point, um, aside from the tennis record, is of course a hilarious play on all the different uh, names that the, the London buildings get. Um, but you basically got those, so you got um, the, the Girl King, the tennis record, then the House of Cards, and then he jumps into the, the London Eye, and the London Eye spins off and it hits, goes all the way out of space and hits uh, an alien spaceship. I just thought that's genius because that's the London that I know and that's the London that kids know. So it's, it's you know it's it's something that kids can relate to and they know and it's funny and it's and again it's very British you know and, and even I guess what they specifically chose was um, that it also was something that audiences internationally would recognise and yet still stays authentic to the to the British audience. But it, it, they have to retain that where you say that retain that Britishness. Um, yeah. I suppose it's a selling point, isn't it? It's what's what's kind of expected. I mean, uh, on, the, on the point of Britishness, I want to hear also highlight, um, of course, I don't know, and so I don't have any affection uh, towards the old voices, but the voice cast is really lovely, and um, I'm particularly a big fan of the main Alexander actor, Armstrong. Alexander yeah. Armstrong, who um, just has 
you know, I never, I've seen it on TV, obviously, but never really took point of his voice, but gorgeous voice. And perfect, he plays this uh, character who's, you know, like yourself pointed out, a messagistic, kind of little bit selfish guy who, you know, likes being the hero uh, very well and, and yet so polite in a way. I mean, I can't say it enough. This show really does feel like it's being created by people who really love and care. And, you know, as Sarah also pointed out herself, the audience that are going to watch it now are not going to care really about, about what it was or what it is. So it is kind of trying to yeah, play that golden line of how much do you kind of give to the new and how much do you please the old. And, Oh, they've trod it very carefully and yeah. done an amazing job. Did you yes. like? Did you like the show? Will you be watching Danger Mouse, Bianca? I mean, um, I'll definitely be watching the new series. I'm now actually a little bit, yeah, scared to watch some of the old stuff and kind of find out if the characters aren't as beautifully developed and aren't as good looking. I mean, not the characters, but I mean the backgrounds and everything. That maybe I'll be judging it now to this standard. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, definitely interested in watching the new one. I think it's. It can go right up there in competition with um, with some of the major channels, you know, some of the major shows that everybody knows and loves. Uh, <laughs> <Tragic> time. Uh, <laughs> well, excellent. That's quite a high commendation there. It snuck in through the yeah, through the but, method but at of the cough. same time keeping, you know, not trying to be, at, you know, any of these these kind of shows, you know, at the same time staying true British and. Um, being its own voice and I think BBC clearly is, is putting a lot on the line to do that and again mentioning the budget clearly is quite high for this I guess this is them kind of announcing themselves in a play field so I, I really wish the best for it I really hope it does well and I'm, I'm definitely excited to see more of it you? I am, I will be watching all of it yes, if I'm allowed <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Bianca Ransom, thank you very much for speaking to Squiggly today. It's nice catching up with you. Thank you, Steve. Well, right now I'm here at Encounters with Aidan McAteer and Laura Beth Cowley. Laura Beth is our features writer, and Aidan McAteer actually has a film in the festival this year. Hello. How you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Good, good, good. I guess to sort of start with, we could talk a little bit about your film, maybe, um, okay. which, uh, which was part of... Um, was it the second, one. second animation two. screening? Yeah, there's a lot of films about um, in this uh, in this edition of the festival. There's lots of films that deal with themes of death and themes of being old, um, <laughs> and that various kind of. Uh, <laughs> But this one I, I really liked because it, it, you know it had proper sort of levity about it, and I really enjoyed sort of watching that sort of mix of animation style. It had a very kind of there was a lot of thoughtfulness behind the design of it, but you could tell it was animated using the sort of animation theories I suppose that go into a lot of television production at the moment. Mm. But um, so how did this film come about? Uh, so this one is uh, luckily for me the uh, Irish. Film board have a grant system, which I think is quite hard to find in, in, in the UK, but they will fund three films a year, and you get a budget, and you get quite a decent budget. Well, relatively speaking, it's €40,000, so whatever that is in pounds. I had that kind of idea kind of sort of playing around in my head. for I'd probably been working on script for like two years or something, because mm-hmm. it was the first thing. I'd, I'd only done silent stuff before that, and uh, I wasn't very confident writing things, you know, and I thought, oh, God, this dialogue is going to be awful. But uh, <laughs> I sort of eventually kind of worked away and worked away, showed it to a few people and that kind of stuff, and then got to a point where... 
um, I entered it in a, in a small festival in Ireland, the Waterford Film Festival, and as a sort of an unproduced script competition, that they have this really uh, sort of a small genre, this sort of unproduced short film scripts, mm. um, and it kind of got a, sort of a finalist pick there. So I'm like, okay, somebody else thinks this is okay. So that, that I'm not trying to make it. So I submitted that, um, and then, uh, yeah, got the grant, and, and we made it. Uh, at the time, I was directing this preschool show called Wildernuts. So um, I was kind of double jobbing. But again, with short films, everyone, like no one, very few people, it's their full-time job, right? Because mm. even in the panel yesterday, you could hear that people were saying, someone asked, how did you make your film? They're like, evenings and weekends, evenings and weekends, <laughs> evenings and weekends. It's always that. So I was a uh, full-time job during the day, and then evening weekends, I was directing this. So it is in the competition screenings. We don't know at the time of recording if it's won anything. If it, if it turns out that it did, then we knew all along. We, all we had you back. Well, if you, you and if it didn't, well, tough break all that. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so what we did a, f- a couple of years ago, we had you uh, join us to, at Annecy. Annecy, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, we went through a few of the films. This is something we do from time to time when there's been a festival as we go through the latest sort of crop of new short films uh, that tend to screen in competitions at festivals. So Encounters, I generally found, kind of marks the sort of beginning of the, uh, the short film year in a lot of respects. Like you'll have gotten some premieres at Annecy and then you'll have gotten some premieres at you know, Ottawa, um, there's a certain degree of overlap, but yeah, it's a bit like the tax year. Like it's sort of, <laughs> you, right. you start to see a whole bunch of new. I think it's because of graduation, maybe as well. Yeah. Lots of student films. Um, so this festival being in September. So yeah, certainly a lot of stuff that I hadn't seen before, but uh, a lot of it very good as well. I guess uh, to start with, I guess we'll just go through the screenings in order, won't yeah. we? Yeah. So yeah, to start with um, animation one, I guess we'll just sort of pick through some of the highlights and mm-hmm. films that uh, our animation audience might want to keep their eyes open for. I thought the opening film of all the new Andreas Haikade film. This film was Nuggets that yes. played in this competition. Um, and this is just a bird kind of feasting on little niblets that... Uh, Getting high yeah. and then falling. Yeah. <laughs> and I each time it uh, takes another... He has a really good sense of weight. Mm. And that's yeah. what carries the whole sequence. It's just this feeling of like... Oh, again, 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 and until and each he time uh, basically it... destroys himself in black. Yeah. Because it's only three colours, yellow, yeah. grey, and black, but different stages of grey. I guess white, if you're going to count white as a colour. It, it starts off very kind of sort of cutesy and cheerful, and then you start to kind of pick up. There's a point where the, the bird sort of face plants itself. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, oh, it's getting more and more like chewed up. Yeah. Like a horrible... You're being sort of ravaged <laughs> by these things as, they, uh, as, he, as he takes more of them in. That was feel-good way to start the... <laughs> yeah, oh, Theodor Ushev's new film, one of two new films that he's put out um, quite close to one another uh, this year. And again, a bit like uh, Andreas Haikade. I mean, Theodor Ushev, generally speaking, his style is quite consistent, and you can look at, you know, he had the 20th Century trilogy, like Gloria Victoria and Drugs mm, yeah. and Tower Bauer, I think was the other one. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it, because it rhymes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so he has two films that are sort of similarly in that kind of abstract stream of consciousness, visual ideas, vain, but very sort of different. This one they played at uh, the competition screening. One was Somnambulo, the sleepwalker, and that was a sort of surrealist uh, art movement inspired musical piece and very sort of fun and kind of bouncy and McLaren-y. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you guys have sort of warned me about him. Like, oh, no, this is a fancy one. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I'm sort of rather slightly ashamed to admit it, but when those kind of... Uh, Abstract films, if I really like the music, I find that helps quite a bit, oh, yeah. and I really like the music in that one. I think it's a, a huge part of it. Like a, the Japanese guy, Mirai Mizu, 
like his films are, are you know very very colorful and playful and fun but you know it's not a case of like sound being 50% of it sound is like 80% yeah, of like yeah. will this work or not yeah. you know and i think that definitely with the Theodore's film here, it, uh, it really works very well. I think it's just nice because he's one person that does that kind of abstract, experimental filmmaking that I can actually watch <laughs> and enjoy, and I'm not just rolling my eyes constantly until my head hurts. And uh, another one, The Evening Her Mind Jumped Out of Her Head by Kim Noche and Sean Clark, which I liked, and I think we all kind of enjoyed that one. It's a sort of very stark, kind of black and white, well, white on black uh, line-up style. Yeah, lovely style, yeah. Was it you, Aidan, that told us that it was actually originally projected? Yeah, projected, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sort of yeah, that's that. right. I think it was for, oh, a better check. I think it was for Watford Council or something they did, and they originally was to be projected on buildings, so I'm sure it looked great, mm. and then I think they sort of rejigged it slightly as a, as a, as a film, but yeah. It, it kind of makes sense of, like, there was, like, loads of panels, and I was like, are they meant to be trees? Yeah. But I guess they were meant to be, mm. like, columns on buildings and stuff so you can imagine that would work really well once again i just really like films that involve train journeys i don't know why (laughs) um so that was a good train journey film i think anyone who's ever actually been on a train with like a carriage full of people who are all just being a pain in your ass and (laughs) you'd quite like your your brain to kind of bounce out of your head and just let you be for a while i think just that rebelief one just because of the fact that it's a i'm reading it here i thought at the time yeah it's zoetrope doesn't it Mm. 3D printed Zotropes. This is just interesting to... I'm not sure the film that connected me that much, but uh, uh, I just really thought that style was really noteworthy was... and interesting. Have a little go at that. Yeah, brilliant. I thought it was a very clever way of doing it. I just wasn't a massive fan of the style, I guess, of the of the characters. Just right. because they were... But I imagine they're like the size of my thumb. They look really small, so yeah. printing at that scale would have been really hard to get any huge amount of detail that you can because they then uh, normally with 3d printing you then sand everything down because 3d printing is all in layers which they haven't in this so you can really yeah, see really it and it kind of leaves this kind of uh, furry almost texture because <laughs> they use that in Leica and like things like paranormal they don't shave it down to give that kind of peach fuzz mm. effect to skin so it kind of works with that but they because they print thinly you get like light going through it ah, um, yeah. where this one you don't they're solid so it's everything just kind of looks a bit furry mm. but no, it was it was good, and I quite I, I liked what they were trying to do, and it's always nice to see a Zerotrope film, yeah, because it reminds you of where we came from, I guess. <laughs> I do like the the Zerotrope idea. I, there were elements of the film that I felt weren't perhaps necessary, and the Zerotrope element could have spoken for it. There's a there's a point where voiceover kind of plays a part in it, like sort of a aggrieved family domestic. Yeah, which I thought that you know, but they've reminded me a little. This, this director is Raymond McCarthy Bergeron from the US. Uh, it really reminded me of another director who I think is French called uh, Alexandre Dubosch. Oh, is he the one that does the cake animations? Yeah. Yeah, those, he's, uh, he's really yeah. nice. He's a lovely guy. But he's a good Tim Burton. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, he's very cool. And we have a Nicolas Minard's yeah. Loop Ring Chop Drink. Uh, we have an interview with Nicholas on the site that yep. uh, is really relevant. I really enjoyed that one. Style mm-hmm. was beautiful. I, I, I'm a big fan of... Uh, it happens quite a lot, but I think it really works in animation, these sort of three different strands or whatever it was that kind of come together. Or, or you know, people, which I think was the case in this, yeah, they're all living in the same building. That seems to be a theme, but it, God, it works. When it works, it works, you know? It's brilliant. Mm. He does a lot of illustration work as well, because he's oh. a designer as well. Um, it's really lovely. It's really stark. It's very, without sounding like a spaced episode, he's very now. <laughs> <laughs> so his work is very good. Don't lose your head. <laughs> Director Carolina Specht. I like this one. 
I, I, this was kind of... Um, it just looked fun to work on, didn't it? I just wanted to... Yeah. Just repeating circles, basically screaming, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So it was quite funny. I had some people complaining behind me, like, oh, that screams and everything. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> that scream isn't everything, and that's why it's like a cult classic scream. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. This is the one you really liked, yeah, and I've liked just remembered it. it now. I like this one, the flaneur. That yeah, was the one where he... Isn't that the one where he was like, I'm going to tell you what the flaneur is. Yeah. So if my whispering is annoying you. <laughs> As you point out, we've moved on to another film. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Patrick Burr. It's a German film called What I Forgot to Say, um, about being a flaneur. Yeah, he... Uh, in the Q&A, he had said that he'd been sitting through so many boring lectures or, le- or people who didn't quite know how to do a lecture who were doing a lecture, which this film takes the form of. And it kind of, that's where every so often it'll interrupt itself and he'll go, kind of try and repeat himself. Okay, what have we learned kind of thing? But I don't know, I think that adds to the humour. I, I sort of really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. Someone constantly, like pop-ups coming up in yeah, the middle. Right. Like, yeah. Have you ever considered yoga mats? <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone to animation two, The March of Time. Which had your film, Ed, mm-hmm. and... Um, mm-hmm. My film's called Deadly, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure is, it, oh, yeah, is there any web presence it. for it, or, like... Uh, the trailer's online, and we'll be putting it online. I'm kind of hoping to put it online Halloween, maybe. It's sort of slightly spooky. It has to play on Irish television first. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in this, uh, this programme category... Oh, this film I really like, the second one they played, uh, in, in the, the distance. distance. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was really good. It was it's just one long shot. It was quite nice that this one didn't didn't fade to black and didn't cut yes, do like a, yeah, a, a yeah. black cut it would go now it's night just kind of mm-hmm. dissolve into yeah, different times and now it's day mm-hmm. and now it's you know there's some sort of soldier trying to climb over nope <laughs> <laughs> push him over it <laughs> <laughs> was a wonderful sort of moment a sort of fully timing moment in the film as well <laughs> you know that something's happened and you're waiting to hear the <laughs> and then eventually it's like Ulo Pikov's film Tic Tac Pretty good. It was a, a pixelation, stop-motion hybrid. Some lovely little sort of surreal moments of the mouse kind of nibbling at the photograph of the, the soldier, and the soldier yeah. in the photograph starts yelling at him. Just going yeah, away yeah, from, yeah oh, okay. And then... There was that moment where um, the guy's trying to catch him in a mouse trap, and he uses the photo as bait. Oh, yeah. I really <laughs> like that. <laughs> Why not? And yeah, the, uh, I won't sort of spoil the sort of the payoff, but uh, the sort of fate of the mouse and eventually the, um, the guy... Is, is is very interesting, very From nicely done. From a point of view, the puppetry in it was very mm. good, and the model really making impressive. on the, I don't know if this is possible, but the second mouse yeah. is really, really, really good. Yeah. Like, Phenomenal. to do something in with cogs in that way is really, and hide the armature, or make mm. the armature part of it. Yes, it's really exactly. clever. Julian Renard, Julian Renard, somewhere down the line, um, that was really nice too. It was a sort of film about the Perils of hitchhiking. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, it's sort of a life journey, sort of told through car. That's trips. yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I'm uh, freely admitting my bias. I'm going to talk about the Irish films probably, <laughs> purely because I know the people who made them. But that's that was the idea with, with, with Julian wanted to do like the life of a person through sort of journeys and stuff mm. like that. So um, yeah, I thought it was. I just really liked the way he blended CG and and, and 2D. Mm. It's like I don't think you've seen better. I haven't seen better in feature films. I don't think you know they've no. really just painted it all. It looks gorgeous. Super widescreen, the road, yeah, fantastic. A mm. uh, film I really liked was uh, Rory Wadby Tully's Tusk, yeah, yeah, which was an RCA film, I think. I think so, yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah, I do feel that a lot of RCA films in the last few years have really been up my street because mm-hmm. they've had that nice sort of combination of 
sort of abstract approaches to filmmaking, perhaps, but really nice, fun, relatable, interesting stories. And Tusk is a story about a, I guess, a woolly mammoth mm. that's been defrosted in a world where mammoths have evolved into sort of human-like elephant-type creatures, and they're discriminated against and yeah. has a, have a bit of a shitty run of it. And that's the bit where she's like in the museum, like, I'm not an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> and that screening closed with World of Tomorrow, which got a hugely... Uh, positive reaction. Deservedly so. It's yeah. a very funny film. I mean, that's kind of old news for you guys. That was my first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. And in that room as well. Like, yeah. it played so well. It's so funny. It's so amazing. The little girl is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love the little girl. Yeah. I wish I could jump around like she does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Old Don Hertzfeld is a bloody genius. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> very jealous. Uh, we have Marcus Armitage's film. We have an interview with him on the site. Yeah, um, I really liked that. I thought that was fantastic. Again, style really well and but and really well executed and, and animated as well. Yeah, mm. fantastic. New film from Adam Wells, who is a really, really super productive uh, CG animator. He's like, he makes... Seems like he makes a new film like at least once or twice a year. This is quite different. Yeah, well, it has a dialogue in it, which I think is a first for his. Yeah, he said that at the Q and A. He was like, "Yeah, this is," a, and because I, I felt the same way about mine, so he, I sort of sympathised with him a lot. And he said, yeah. "Yeah, same thing. He was his first time writing something, and he showed it to a lot of his writer friends, and wasn't really sure about it, but he kind of made it." And uh, he said he still he kind of winces at it now, but I thought I thought it worked, you know, definitely. Yeah. You know. She did a good job. And Theodore Ushev, another film, yeah. uh, Blood Manifesto. This was an NFB film, quite different from the uh, the fun and frolics <laughs> of the Sleepwalker. Um, this was a film he animated in his blood. Again, we have an interview with him up on the site where he talks a little bit about uh, the technical considerations of that. <laughs> um, apparently, he didn't end up using as much blood as he thought he would. Like he extracted, <laughs> he extracted a certain amount and ended up with some spare. So that's good if he wants to make a sequel. <laughs> so you never want to make a there's a thing of like if you're going to do a film in your own blood it's really got to be <laughs> it's really got to be good and I do th- <laughs> I got to be honest I, I thought it was a nice visual effect I yes. thought it was really quite all of his films when you read any of his interviews you, the, he takes what he's talking about seriously he's mm-hmm. not some like student who's like trying to impress his parents <laughs> like say so, you know I, I know about politics no this is like the guy the real deal yeah um, and he he makes really good watchable films. Any others in this one? Zeppo or Zippo? Or... Oh, the sand animation one, yeah. yeah. Cesar Diaz Melendez. I thought that was fantastic. In terms of sand animation, it's like, I, I don't know. Cause I, I saw this, I was judging another festival, and I sort of gave this top marks, and like, complete mastery of sand animation. Like, they're, they're, if they were drawings on paper, they'd be amazing drawings, but they're not. They're someone, you did them in sand, it's amazing. And I really like, uh, uh, like uh, when characters sort of... Uh, run or move through the earth and stuff he like sprinkles little bits of the darker sand yeah. around and everything and it's just really uh, I was sort of blown away by it uh, I think it's sort of quite a dark story uh, um, and that kind of stuff but it sort of suits perfectly and I'm sort of just in awe of that command mm. of sand Once again it's one of those um, films that I, I, I like anything that's really well wrapped up mm-hmm. and isn't open ended this is what happened, <laughs> this is what happened Pleasure. in the end feel bad you're sad though and it's, a, it's just a really well constructed little narrative it's only three minutes long but it, it you know they've got the timing bang on mm-hmm. like they didn't add extra scenes and they didn't need to The Old Man and the Bird by Dennis Stein Schomburg I was really looking forward to this film and it was really good but I kind of don't want to talk about it until I've completely figured out how it was done because it's frustrating me that I can't 
It annoys me when I can't tell when something's done because I feel like a failure. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, you guys have got to contact the guy or something because that was the whole talk of the festival. Everyone, I I talked to lots of the filmmakers and they're like, so it's it's kind of stop motion. It was very smooth, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. he either did it on wands and is an incredibly skilled animator or it's an actual hand puppet. And the, and the hands are like a, gl- a latex glove that's been painted mm. to look like a puppet. But other people were saying it's a guy with a false head. I yeah. thought that one. Yeah. I, th- I thought that it was thing. a yeah. I thought it was a guy filmed live action with a costume mm. with perhaps CG facial features animated yeah, on top of it. Yeah, I think that's what's... And then some of the environmental elements and the animals were stop motion. Yeah, or the, maybe that bird is CG. I don't know. Yeah, and the set was that was possibly stop motion, though. Yeah, so possibly green screened. Like but then, boom. if it's a, like if it's an angry kid situation, he's a real man. It's actually just a film set. Well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would like to point out that it says it's a fairy tale and children friendly. Mm. I'm not sure if it is. Mm. Yeah, I think I th- yeah, but kids can handle dark, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about Aria for a Cow for a second because sure. I, I really like that one. Again, because we were talking, weren't we, after, after that screening, we were like, that's sort of the only, uh, probably the only one that looks like that sort of Hollywood animation, sort of Pixar-y, Disney, DreamWorks-y kind of style. And the reason that it is like that is because it's, it's directed by a guy called Dan Lund, who's an animator at Disney. Uh, and the story, because I was talking to a few people from the production, and they were saying the story is that uh, there's this song that's right, there was a really funny kind of bouncy song that is written by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who are sort of the golden guys of, of Disney animation, and they would have written all the songs for Little Mermaid, and um, Howard Ashman sort of sadly passed away, but he, there was this one f- song that they wrote specifically for Sesame Street that was never used, which is about milking cows. Never got released, never got put into any film, never obviously didn't get onto Sesame Street, and uh, Dan sort of found it, and sort of wanted, I think he wanted to do, uh, there was another famous song, the last song that they wrote, that, they made that people has always been running around Disney for, for years and people have always said, oh, we want to animate that. And you think he couldn't get the rights to that or everyone said, oh, everyone's heard it and it's fine, don't do that one. But there is this little Sesame Street one. But he didn't have any budget to do it or anything. So it's made by sort of people who all over the world, sort of cre- not crowd-funded, but crowd-animated, I think, <laughs> who donated their time. I think the base was in a, a school in San Francisco. They, everyone kind of worked on it for free, including Dan, who did it while he was working on the, the feature. I think, I think it's really, really polished as well. When you sort of, it sort of becomes even more impressive when you know that it's done by, a lot, a lot of it's done by kind of students and, 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 deaf and sort of people volunteering their time and sort of hilarious and, yeah, fun. Bundle of joy. <laughs> this, uh, this whole screening, affectionately, is known as the dead baby screening. <laughs> <laughs> so many dead babies. This is the happy one. Yeah. <laughs> the kid-friendly one, yeah. What the heck? <laughs> I, I like to refer to it as the dead baby screening, and then everyone knows what I'm talking about. Um, dead baby number one, bundle but of joy. It's we've great, kind of Anna. given away the ending, but ah. <laughs> I mean, it's not so much dead baby as bad parents. They're like say. tin mice, so no yeah. one's really dead, and they were yeah. never really alive. I think it's the sort of fairy tale for new parents and what maybe they wish they could do. <laughs> like, you don't want to kill your baby. <laughs> But maybe just turn it off for a while. Yeah, yeah it's not as dark as we're making it sound. Yeah, it is. It's actually very bright and bubbly and cute and fun. And you I know. really like uh, the birth scene or like the pregnancy birth scene because the whole thing is narrated by like a squeezy toy. Oh yeah, like and a so she goes into like labour and the husband's like eh, later. <laughs> <laughs> She's like. <laughs> and the uh, dead baby film number two is Will and Cogwheels by Bartosz Kazieski. Yeah. In Poland, and that. Uh, that's one that I think would be harder to kind of like describe succinctly, but uh, <laughs> Snowfall you quite liked. Yeah, Whelan. Snowfall was really good by uh, Connor Whelan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it was a lovely film. It was really, it was very short. It was very succinct. And it's kind of about a guy who's at a party and has this little moment, mm-hmm. um, and it's all sort of. To- it's there's no like dialogue or anything, but it's sort of told with eye movements. And it, I think we talked uh, to the director a little bit yesterday, and I sort of said to him, "It's nice because because of it being short, and it being about a moment, it works really well because you kind mm-hmm. of, it kind of leaves the audience wanting more." But that's exactly how the character feels. Connor is a, a commercial director, and you can kind of see, mm. like, he knows how to keep things short and stuff. And I just, uh, uh, again, like, he uh, swaps the aspect ratio all the time and closes mm. the frame and opens the frame, and then if there's light coming down, he'll just really striking, beautiful shapes and things like that, yeah. Just mm. in terms uh, of filmmaking, it is... It's fantastic, lovely feeling of it, yeah, brilliant. Oh, and Constantine Bronzett's film, which has had a lot of buzz around it, and I think really lived up to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really fabulous. good. We Can't Live Without Cosmos, it's called. That was yeah. another, like, top five. And that was one of the ones that really lived up to the actual screening title of being, like, about friends. The, the Ray's Big Idea was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's an Ardman one. Really slick, mm-hmm. really nicely done. Funny story, always, lo- you know, plays really well at the festival, and I guess a hometown crowd doesn't mm-hmm. hurt, but it's really funny, really well done festival. Raised big idea, Steve Harding Hill. Mm-hmm. I really liked White, which was Elodie Pompson, uh, I think. Uh, really simple, uh, stop motion, uh, these sort of little figures that are all the same, mm-hmm. and sort of has that kind of message, but you know, one of those films that can be interpreted kind of almost any way you want, yeah. and uh, maybe it's sort of people would think that's not a great thing, but you know that kind of thing where it's uh, if you sort of a blank expression, you can almost put what you're mm-hmm. feeling onto it, and these just little sort of, uh, I, I almost sort of felt sorry for this one that's left out, you know, even though it's really minimal animation, stop motion. Yeah, yeah, exactly, they're fantastic. Um, of all the other ones, I mean, I'd probably just then, for me, go straight to the Richard Williams film, which was amazing. Oh, yeah. Which I was really interested in the process. He was saying, oh, I did a lot of life drawing. So he would literally get models in, and the models from the film, and draw the guys, and then I think he'd essentially redraw them or trace them or you know, use those mm-hmm. as his key poses. So use his life drawings as his key poses, and then in between um, them, and talk about in betweens. My God, like it's all rendered. And then someone asked one of the questions, and then everyone occurred to me, like he's saying, uh, someone said, oh, it doesn't, the, the, the cross hatching and all this really delicate hatching doesn't boil. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I know, I animated. It's like, oh my God, he's in between <laughs> cross hatching. It's like, good Lord. And he was saying, so how long did it take? And he was like, at one point, there's something like, uh, like one of this, uh, the shot, one of the publicity shots with the kind of face. He's saying he would do, uh, it would take two and a half hours, so he was doing four frames a day. Mm. <laughs> Uh, not all of them were like that because some of it's, it kind of travels through a, a sort of field with grass and stuff like that and some smoke but like good lord what an achievement amazing yeah. <laughs> cool well thanks guys for chatting about these with me I hope the uh, audience has been given some food for thought and films to look out for in the, in the, in the future absolutely so, upcoming festivals and Vimeo and the like Laura Beth Aidan thank you very much thank, thank you, you. <laughs> so Ben Squiggly's very own programme of touring animated short films, This Is Not A Cartoon, uh, the programme that sort of covers the northwest of England, is returning. We're back with a brand new programme. Say what? Uh, we've <laughs> got a brand new programme. And if you listen to this podcast, then you've just missed the Derby Quad event, which was on the uh, 22nd of September. You fools! Yeah, everyone, to, to the time machine! And now that turned up, uh, there was an interview with Andy Martin, uh, who we're both big fans of. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a, a Q&A uh, after the screening, but uh, you've not missed out yet, everybody. Don't panic because at home in Manchester on Sunday, the 27th of September, 
there'll be another uh, screening of the uh, programme, plus uh, an interview with Marcus Armitage, the uh, award-winning director of My Dad, who'll be doing a Q&A after the screening. And uh, for those a little further north in uh, Lancaster, uh, on the 3rd of October at Duke's, uh, Marcus will be joining us there for much the same. So, yeah, if you haven't had enough at home, then go up to Lancaster as well. As if they need a reason to go to Lancaster. <laughs> Let's just read those dates out again. So, home in Manchester on Sunday the 27th of September, and the Dukes in Lancaster on Saturday the 3rd of October, both with uh, Marcus Armitage giving a Q&A following the screening. So, loads to look forward to there. Any other uh, events and... Uh... Event-related goss to share with the squiggly audience? Bro, I, I, I need to tease the Manchester Animation Festival, Ben. As, as, tease as, me, Stephen. Tease me. Tease. I shall tease you. With festival news. With festival news and wordage. Uh, yes, the Manchester Animation Festival is tantalisingly close to revealing uh, our lineup, and there'll be information on volunteering and tickets and everything else and the all-important uh, programme of competition shorts that are coming out. Free jam-packed days of animation goodness on the 17th, 18th and 19th of November, and I'm sure I'll be uh, telling everyone what's happening in the next podcast, so listen out for that. Well, how do you like them apples? It's the end of yet another animation podcast. To uh, keep abreast of our respective shenanigans, you can follow me at Ben L. Mitchell on Twitter. You can follow Steve at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson on Twitter. And to follow this episode's guest contributors, you can follow Bianca Ansoms at Bianca Ansoms, Aiden McAteer at Aiden McAteer, and Laura Beth Cowley at LB Cowley. Of course, at Squiggly for Squiggly Magazine, and Squiggly.com is the website. Thank you very much to Rob Cullen for taking the time, as well as the other numerous talents involved in bringing the new series of Danger Mouse to the screen. People are interested in uh, Rob Cullen. They can follow him on Twitter at rcullenrobert. And uh, Boulder Media have just uh, launched themselves on Twitter as well. So you can follow them at Boulder Media LTD. If anyone wants any more information on the Manchester Animation Festival, they can follow it on Twitter at MCRAnimation. Or they can look on Facebook, Facebook slash Manchester Animation Festival. Or they can go to the website, manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk. So we bid you adieu for now, but we will be back with a new episode of the podcast in a couple of weeks. Until then, happy animating.